shit, it's the coin toss. Two sides of a coin. Well, certainly one side of each coin. Three sides sometimes, I guess. I don't know, Tarek, heads or tails? Tails, I know I'm gonna lose, but tails. You already lost. John, do you have the coin? Yeah, it's heads. I have a bag of Doritos. Oh, it's heads. Uh, <laughs> my goodness. Uh, Trey, do you want the ball? Yeah, man, I want the ball. All right. Well, I know that our most recent criticism is that I'm not doing this binary enough, so I really wanted to break it down. I want to know, guys, Trey, who is the best number 10 or best number 11 player in the NFL in NFL history? Oh my god. So, Ones and zeros, baby. So hey god, so we said the coin toss wasn't binary enough and you came up with the number ten or the number eleven. <laughs> Do you know me? <laughs> oh my god. Okay. Uh well look, this is one of those things that I don't really know or give a shit about at all. So um <laughs> let me let me dig deep in the well here. Um there's been a couple good wide receivers with number eleven. So Julio Jones is kind of the obvious one. But I'm gonna go with uh, with Larry Fitzgerald, man. Uh, his hands are they're so soft, they're so smooth, and they're uh, so soft. Yeah, you know he got a little bit closer to winning it all than uh, Julio Jones did, and I mean he was just super reliable for like two decades, whereas Julio Jones missed a lot of time. So yeah, give me uh, give me Fitz. All right, Tarek, you got Mitch Trubisky or what? Mitch Trubisky's number two <laughs> for number ten. But all right, I know we like you know, visualization on this pod. So everybody close your eyes and <laughs> mm -hmm. envision it's the Rose Bowl, 2006, no fourth way. down. He ain't passing. And Vince Young takes that ball right past that Trojan defense into the corner of the end zone, national championship, best college football game of all time. So that can only mean that Vince Young is the best NFL number 10 of all time. That's my logic. Oh my God. That's pretty Tarek solid. Wins. Drop That's the beat. That's pretty solid. Good episode, boys. What the fuck is going on, everyone? Welcome into the Long Game Dynasty podcast, a weekly roundtable discussion about dynasty fantasy football. I am your host, Tarek Angry Team and Shreya. With me, as always, John Alexander, Trey Cryan, and Mitch Yates. All right, Mitch. So our friend Kyle has a bone to pick with you, man. Last week, you said that Melvin Gordon's best season, 2018, he did it all on six carries per game. Mm-hmm. You know what, man? He sure as shit did not. <laughs> Let me tell you. <laughs> Let me tell you, man. I was wrong on that one. Uh, he he was uh, the the stat I was searching for was six targets a game, six receptions a game, and I just kept digging myself a hole into the abyss, and I was wrong. And Kyle, thank you for bringing that up. And uh, fuck you, but thank you. Um, also, what's up, guys? I'm happy that for once it wasn't me fucking up. Uh, so thanks, Mitch. Uh, I'll try and carry the torch this week, though. You got it, baby. <laughs> if there's one thing about fantasy football podcasting, it's that if you fuck up a number, you're the worst, right, Trey? Uh, that's absolutely right. Let me just share my <laughs> knowledge and my experience of uh, now 19 episodes of the Long Game Dynasty podcast. And that's if, if you're ever thinking about going into podcasting or becoming a fantasy football talking head, you can never fuck up. Not even one no, time. No, Definitely not. You must have a 100% hit rate. So, guys, it's been real. Uh, I will see you all later. Uh, best of luck with the podcast. <laughs> I'm going to stick yeah, around. Mitch is quitting. I'm not quitting. I'm just going to make like shitty jokes throughout the podcast. I'm going to let you guys do it. I'm going to sit back this one. Ah, he's, not, okay. he's not quitting. He's just going to make like Kyle and take his ball and leave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Kyle, in all seriousness, we love you. Thank you for keeping us on our toes. Melvin Gordon did it on 16 carries per game in 2018, not six. But now that we got that Who's out of the way. Who's keeping score? Shut up, Tarek. <laughs> who, wh what are we talking about today, guys? All right. So per usual, we got two halves of content. In the first half, we're jumping ahead. We're getting into these 2022 prospects. So each of us have hand-selected hand-picked a 2022 prospect that we are going to be watching closely this college football season. 
So we're excited to get into 2022 for the first time on the long game. And then, and then in the second half, we are going to be talking about the training camp and preseason news cycle, right? So we're going to just kind of wax poetic about how you should digest, respond to, and think about the news that you're inevitably going to be blasted in the face with on Twitter regarding both training camp and the preseason. But with that in mind, let's kick it off. We're talking 2022 prospects. Trey, going with you first. Uh, it looks like there's a little bit of uh, some name symmetry between you and your prospect. That's right. That's right. So I picked out uh, Traylon Burks. This is a wide receiver from Arkansas. So since his name is uh, also Trey, that means he's uh, guaranteed to be drafted by the uh, the 49ers next year to join uh, Lance and uh, Sermon, right? So mm-hmm. 49ers receiver Traylon Burks. <laughs> Future 49ers uh, right here. Um, entered college as a 19-year-old freshman in 2019. And he definitely belongs in the discussion for top uh, wide receiver prospect in this class for me. There's uh, there's David Bell from Purdue. There's Garrett Wilson from Ohio State, who I think are right there with him. But this guy really stands out to me. Uh, one, because he's really fucking big. He's six foot three, 230 pounds. Uh, so he's already getting comps right now to other big wide receivers that came out of the SEC, you know, guys like A.J. Brown, Julio Jones. And, uh, I mean, for rightly so, he was a four-star recruit who played basically every position uh, back in high school. Uh, there was one scout, uh, one scouting report I found that basically said he could play college ball basically at any position he wanted. They said wide receiver, running back, safety, or linebacker with his elite, like, size and athleticism. So, I mean, it's, it's this is the kind of athlete we're talking about here. And he came in as a freshman in 2019. He immediately led the the team in receiving yards, only 475 on the season, but still enough to be their number one option. And then he broke out as, in a big way last year. So 51 catches, 820 yards, and seven touchdowns in only nine games. And that line was good enough for a 25% target share and 16.2 yards per catch, which earned him second team all SEC honors. This is a guy who is going to hurt defenses down the field. He's got awesome ability after the catch, and he's got some sick ball skills in the end zone. So what I'm looking for going into his junior year is can he continue to build on that sophomore year breakout? He only had a 72% catch rate uh, as a sophomore. Maybe he can uh, have a little bit better hands, maybe a little bit better technical receiving ability in his junior year. And now he's got to deal with the quarterback team. And he's also dealing with a team that, you know, best case scenario is like a seven and five uh, season ahead of him. So I think he could be the best receiver out of the SEC from this class, maybe from the whole class. But uh, what do you guys think? So we're going to talk about my wide receiver one in this class a little bit later. But Traylon Burks, I, right now, easily my wide receiver two. And it's very close with my wide receiver one, just because he's such a monster. Like, yeah, he is an athletic marvel. Like his hands are 10 inches and one fourth or 10 and one fourth inches. Nike has to special order his gloves because his hands are so big, like absolutely incredible athleticism, intense physicality, like gain separation, not necessarily with super polished route running, but with the most insane physicality in this class. And that's what I love about this receiver class overall is there's a lot of really big kind of athletic receivers with that size speed combo that we didn't get a lot of in 2021. That's right. Um, So I'm really excited about this 2022 receiver class. Mitch, what do you got? Well, I'm looking at this as the SEC is voting him second team all SEC honors. And so that means the coaches that are having to deal with his ass are voting him as most pissing me off in the sophomore class. Like that that's his designation, right? So if he's pissing off the coaches and they're voting for him, which means all the coaches in the SEC are voting for him, well, certainly he's going to piss off some people in the NFL. And that's the kind of guy I'm looking for. So, yeah. yeah, and that wasn't a very good uh, Arkansas team either. Uh, I think they only had three wins last year. Yeah, exactly. So if there's if they're all like, man, we should cover this guy and then we'll kill Arkansas by 35 points. Yeah, uh, maybe we should pay attention to that guy. So, Trey, I love that, even though, you know, he's Trey Lon or 
and Trey the Fifth or whatever. Yeah, so I, I try to keep up with the Debbie stuff at least, you know, as much as I can. And there's some exciting wide receiver names out there, like Garrett Wilson, David Bell, uh, Traylon Burks, Chris Olave, John Mechie, uh, Justin Ross is coming back as well. These guys are all going to be eligible. Uh, I'm not quite as high. I think I've got Traylon in the top five. Um, I kind of like George Pickens a little bit better. He's kind of flying under the radar right now just because he tore his ACL. But these are we got a really solid 2022 group of wide receivers coming. I think Traylon Burks definitely has the potential to rise up uh, to wide receiver one just based on his physical profile. Um, and you know what? It's like all Big Ten and SEC guys. So... I don't know what that means for college football, but um, it's going to be exciting. Hopefully, we get a full season this year. Yeah, John. I mean, you mentioned uh, Mechie and you mentioned uh, Pickens. So those are definitely the other two guys out of the SEC that I'll definitely be keeping an eye on as well. Uh, The thing with Traylon Burks that, you know, I I kind of alluded to earlier is because he was playing so many different positions back in high school, he -hmm. didn't focus just on wide receiver until he got to Arkansas as a freshman. So Compared to some of these other guys, he's actually a little bit more inexperienced at the wide receiver position, which means there's even more room for him to grow based off of that sophomore year. So that there's tons and tons of potential here on top of what looks like, you know, a prototypical uh, NFL athlete. So, right. The, the, the ceiling is absurd because 6'3", 230 pounds, and the whispers are that he's got 4'4 speed, right? So this is an A.J. Brown Andre Johnson kind of approaching DK Metcalf type of athlete. So definitely limitless ceiling athletically. John, did you have something? I was just going to throw in that if, if he is a little unpolished, then then it's possible uh, that he doesn't declare this year. He would be eligible to go into the 2022 class, but, you know, it's going to depend on the advice he gets based on this season. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. We'll see what his draft grades. Yeah, we'll like. see what it, we see what it's like, but it's possible. It's just it's important that we know we, we note that. No way. They're right. going they're going full full out this season. We're gonna we're gonna see this guy in many, many games and we're gonna actually get that evaluation that we didn't get last year. Right. It's always possible that he could go back. I think if he has a good season, y- you see those guys that are at the big programs like Alabama and, and Ohio State go back a little bit more often than at, you know, a, a shittier program like Arkansas is right now. But mm-hmm. definitely worth noting, John. Thank you. All right, that was Traylon Burks from our own Traylon Cryan. Next, <laughs> Mitch, who is your prospect that you are watching in 2022 in college football? It's Mitch Leak Willis. Mitch Leak. Uh, Malik Willis. <laughs> uh, I, I just really wanted to talk about the 22, or I'm sorry, the 2022 first overall pick for a bit. Um, I really legitimately think, uh, yeah, Tarek, I see that face, but here's why. I, I legitimately think that he's going to make that step that Joe Burrow, Trey Lance, Zach Wilson, and all of these other quarterbacks who were under the radar before the year that they were drafted are going to get drafted at the top of his class. I think that Malik Willis is that guy. He's got the the trajectory on his throws, man. He can throw the ball. He he can throw that shit like a, like it's a goddamn laser. He signed a Virginia Tech and uh, decommitted because he went to Auburn and then decommitted again when he lost his job to, guess what, Stidham. Uh, love to hear that. This year he was in a competition with Bo Nix or Gatewood and he bailed out again. And here we are, quarterback Liberty. So why am I talking about him? He has the potential in the NFL to play like a Cam Newton, to play like a Trey Lance, to play like a... Uh, Lamar Jackson, he's got the speed, he's got the skill, and he's got the power behind that throw that I think that anybody training him in the NFL is going to to feel like that they're going to be willing to place their franchise behind that quarterback. Sure, he's coming out of Liberty, but you know what? I bet you next year he's going to be considered in the top three and some future Coach is going to hinge his future on that quarterback. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, so looking at his uh, stat line from last year, his first full season at Liberty, they had him running the ball a lot. I think he averaged something like 94 yards per game rushing, and he had a 64% completion percentage throwing too, which is pretty good uh, for for the college game. Yeah. Uh, the thing that kind of sticks out to me as a, a potential red flag is uh, the the – 
adjusted yards per attempt average was uh, 9.0. So it's really not like that first round uh, efficiency that we saw from guys like Trey Lance, who was at 11.7 and, uh, you know, Zach Wilson, some of those other guys. So um, now that's not to say he couldn't get there, right? Like he's got another year to improve on that. And maybe uh, it's more the system than kind of uh, any sort of in- indication into his limitations as a player, but uh, we'll see. Um, the other thing is, is he is kind of getting a late start at a non-Power 5 uh, team, right? So he's only started 10 games now in three years. So if he can, you know, really have it another year where he builds on that passing efficiency, then I could definitely see him sneaking into the first round next year. Right. I, I, I like that Mitch brought in Malik Willis to this conversation because I think it's the perfect player in terms of players we want to watch and see what happens in 2021, right? Because if he makes that projected next step, right, he already showed the athleticism. He already showed a decent completion percentage, right? If he makes that next step where his uh, adjusted yards per attempt comes up, he's able to kind of improve his ball placement. He's able to really dominate in a conference that he should be dominating, Right. This is a guy that can go from kind of a projected third or fourth round pick right now to sneaking into the first round. We're talking about a quarterback that can run the fuck out of the ball. And I love I love, love, love that. Like he's one of those Jalen Hurts situations where I think the right team gets a hold of him without trying to replace him with a a, a top five quarterback like that's when you're going to prosper. So. Uh, again, I think the value is low enough for me to be like, yes, let's let's get after this guy. Yeah. And I'll just point out with Jalen Hurts that the main difference there uh, besides, you know, the fact that he played in uh, Alabama and Oklahoma was uh, the fact that he also had that yards per attempt up over into the double digits like top five and in, in NCAA. So um, I'm definitely keeping an eye on that for Willis if you can take that next step there. Just in terms of the larger landscape here, uh, first off, I just want to say congratulations, Mitch. I watch a lot of college football. I had no idea who this guy is, so thank you <laughs> for coming out of left field on that. And then give me something else to watch. Uh, piss off my wife some more with more college football. Hey-o. No, uh, the, the situation is the consensus top two for next year is Sam Howell and Spencer Rattler. Right. Um, I'm not particularly impressed by either one of them. I don't think either one of them would have been a top three quarterback in this class or the last class. Uh, we kind of been spoiled with quarterbacks the last couple of years. So we've got two uh, two teams, the Texans and the Lions, who are going to be looking for a quarterback. They're gonna they're gonna pick one. It's gonna happen. They're gonna go 0 17 and pick a quarterback. So there's a lot of room for a guy like this to kind of sneak up and um and emerge as the guy so thank you mitch for bringing that to our attention it's definitely worth watching and there's probably going to be a few other guys like that um nobody was really talking about trey lance this time last year either for sure yeah there's there's always room especially in a class this shallow right now for a guy to emerge and i and i like that mitch is kind of flagging the the senior quarterback from liberty All right, so we have talked about Traylon Burks and Malik Willis. John, who is your prospect? So we've talked about a wide receiver and a quarterback, and I feel like the wide receiver class is going to be deep again next year. Uh, But unfortunately, I think we're going to have another shallow uh, running back class. This time last year, we're talking about Najee Harris and Travis Etienne, and that was basically it. We always have people that emerge. We've got the Josh Jacobs, the CEHs. We've got the Javante Williams who kind of come out of nowhere. That could happen again this year. But right now, uh, we're talking about two guys, Brees Hall and Isaiah Spiller. They're both uh, true juniors. So this will be their third year. This will be the first year they'll be draft out eligible. Um, and Brees Hall, he plays for Iowa State and uh, and Isaiah Spiller. He's playing for Texas A&M right now. I'm an Isaiah Spiller kind of guy. Both the guys, they're pretty similar. 6'1", 220. Uh, Brees Hall is a little bit faster. Um, And the reason that I think right now my running back one in the 2022 class is Isaiah Spiller is because uh, he reminds me a lot of Javante Williams. If Javante Williams was like the ultimate... uh, in being able to break tackles, that's the sort of the same sort of game that Isaiah Spiller plays, uh, but to a lesser degree. He's not as good as Javante Williams, but he's the same kind of guy. He's always falling forward. I, I watched a few games. I think I watched three games, and I never saw him sing, take a single tackle for loss. Uh, he was always moving forward. 
Um, he was always taking on guys. He's always trying to break people's ankles. And I really like that. So this is the guy who in uh, his sophomore year last year, he was a Doak Walker semifinalist. He had a thousand yards rushing nine, uh, nine touchdowns. And I like that because he was in the SEC. So he's doing that against teams that have defenses that are going directly to the NFL. This is one of my biases. Um, I kind of discount those Big 12 players just because I don't necessarily think their defenses are as good as the SEC players, which is why I'm kind of giving the Spiller uh, the nod here over Brees Hall. Don't worry, John. Five years from now, your SEC preferences will not matter. <laughs> yeah, because everyone's going to be in the SEC. That's a good point. Uh, but in, Brees Hall is a little bit faster, I think. Uh, so guys like ETN, they've got that fourth gear when they get in the open field, they can go. Spiller, That's not really Spiller's game. He's fast. He's like a four, five, four, six, 40 kind of guy. I think that's what he ran in high school, which is fast enough to beat most college DBs in the open field, which I saw him do for a number, a number of times in the, against SEC defenses, but he's not, he's not going to win just running away from people. He's going to break tackles and he's going to run over people, which I like a couple of things I'm looking out for this season in terms of Isaiah Spiller at Texas A&M. I did see him fumble a number of times, and that was mostly because of poor ball position. Like he was holding the ball in front of him in such a way that it was easy to smack it out of his hands. Um, so can he fix that? Is he going to fumble in the NFL? I'm worried about that. Another thing is, can he catch the ball? Um, him and Brees Hall, they both only had 20 receptions, both their freshman and their sophomore years. To be an elite fantasy talent, probably going to want to see some more of that. For reference, Najee Harris and ETN, they both had twice as many receptions last year. So I want to see if they're going to catch the ball more this year. Uh, but if there's going to be another running back taken in the first round, I expect it to either be Brees Hall or uh, Isaiah Spiller. And right now, I think Isaiah Spiller is the guy to do it. Yeah, John, I like this call out here. I, I, and you mentioned the pass catching. He was still able to get an 8.9% target share, uh, which is pretty much uh, right there at that 10% cutoff that I'm, I'm looking for with these running back prospects. Uh, I, I do think that there are, is some concerns about the agility and the burst and sort of the pro measurables that he needs to be a difference maker at the NFL level. And, you know, maybe that's a little bit reflected in the five and a half yards per carry, which is kind of middle of the road for a college running back. So I like to see him get a little bit more efficient with the rushing. I'd like to see him cross that double digit uh, target share percent. And uh, I mean, I'll definitely be keeping an eye on his, uh, his pro testing too, to see if he kind of gets that um, agility that we're looking for, for a, uh, you know, somebody who can go in the first round. In terms of his efficiency on receptions, I think he is a little bit better than Brees Hall. I think from a film perspective, he shows a little bit more of an ability to run more complicated routes than Brees Hall. They had similar reception numbers. So if you kind of look at the dumb stats between Brees Hall and Isaiah Spiller, they kind of shake out similarly in terms of the receiving work. But I think overall, the peripheral numbers and just watching the film shows that Isaiah Spiller probably has um, a higher ceiling in terms of his ability to be a full three down back. Um, I do think Brees Hall is a really great running back on the first two downs. Um, but after kind of doing this exercise, I think Isaiah Spiller has taken the edge for me as my RB1 as well, just because I think he does um, offer that receiving upside that we haven't quite seen as much from Brees Hall. But for both of these guys, I want to see them take a step forward in their junior season. Yeah, if there's any last tidbit I can throw in here, it's like his ability behind the line of scrimmage is very reminiscent of Le'Veon Bell. He's patient, he's careful, and he picks his moves. And when he picks his moves, he gets four yards, even though he knows he has nothing. And that's impressive. And when we're talking about fantasy, uh, I'm all in. I'm all in right here. So I definitely agree with this pick. All right. Well, Isaiah Spiller is from Houston, Texas. Go Cougs. Yes, go Cougs. Go even Cougs. though he did not go to the University of Houston. He did. But my prospect is from Central Texas, which is where all of us are either from or currently living. And that is Garrett Wilson from the Ohio State Buckeyes, a wide receiver. Now, next year, we are likely at least projecting to have two receivers from Ohio State go in the first round of the NFL draft. One is Chris Olave. The other is Garrett Wilson. 
Olave will be a senior and Wilson a junior, but they're actually the same age, which I was surprised to find out. Olave is just a few weeks older. So while the breakout age is going to be a little bit on Chris Olave's side, you'll have the marker of early declare for Garrett Wilson. And he's overall just a more explosive and athletically gifted prospect. So Wilson is currently my wide receiver one for 2022. Coming out of Lake Travis High School, Wilson was the number two receiver recruit in the country. He made an impact in his freshman year with the Buckeyes with over 400 yards and five touchdowns, but he broke out in his sophomore year with 723 yards and six touchdowns. And remember, that was just in eight games with the COVID-shortened season. So those numbers represented a 28% target share with a 30.9% dominator rating, which isn't extraordinary, but it's good enough, especially when you consider that another first round receiver is in the offense. And his 3.21 yards per team pass attempt last year was fifth among power five receivers. So he checks the analytic boxes for me as a baseline and his film backs it up. He's six foot, 193 pounds, right? So kind of that Rashad Bateman, Uh, Justin Jefferson range of frame. He's a good route runner, strong at the catch with elite leaping ability. His vertical might be his best trait. Very elusive after the catch. He's not like a burner or anything. He's not going to completely burn the back end of defenses, but his speed is good enough to win at all levels. So I love Garrett Wilson, but this is what I'm looking for in 2021. I'm looking for him to take over in Ohio State's offense next year and separate himself from Olavi in terms of market share of receiving yards and target share, right? So he doesn't need to get into that 50% dominator rating range. I think Chris Olave is good, but I want to see some more separation between Wilson and Olave. And I'm also hoping to see him play a little bit more on the outside of the formation at that X spot because last year he played mostly in the slot. And that's not a bad thing. I just want to see him win on the outside and show that he can run a diverse route tree. Also, uh, from a film perspective, I want to see his route running technique improve. Like, he's a good route runner. He gets good separation. But can he go from solid to elite? Can he make his cuts more angular and sudden rather than rounded? So that's kind of the nitpick about him right now is he gains separation, but his route technique could use some work. And I think he's the type of prospect that could really take that next step. What do y'all think about Garrett Wilson? Well, I watched every single Ohio State game last year, and I'll tell you that uh, he was clearly the best wide receiver on that team. I think Chris Olave made a fatal mistake not going to the nfl draft this year and deciding to come such back such an idiot I, fatal why? mistake yeah he would have been drafted in the first round i don't get it garrett wilson is going to take his lunch this year now the only thing i'll say is justin fields is gone they're not gonna have an true. nfl quarterback yeah, thrown to him anymore so i would not be surprised if we see those stats go down from last year um, but that being said he's still gonna show out he's still gonna be dominant And I hope that he doesn't destroy Nebraska the same way that he did last year because he is so freaking he's my wide receiver one as well. Look, and I'm the guy that's always going to flame the athlete for being an idiot for turning down millions of dollars. But you know what, man, like if they want to go back to school, all the power to them. But I agree with you, Tarek. I I really do. When somebody offers you millions of dollars and you say, no, man, I'm good to me, that is perplexing as can fucking be yeah and and it makes me wonder too if somebody told him like he wasn't actually gonna go in the first round he wanted to go back and try to secure that that first round draft capital and and that's definitely what i'm going to be looking for with uh with garrett wilson too uh so i'm glad you brought up his sort of uh his frame because uh in the terms of uh the you know the the bean counter he's uh he's kind of that borderline between the alpha and the beta profile so it, you mentioned uh, Shoddy B and, uh, and Justin Jefferson, but uh, uh, Tylen Wallace also kind of fits that profile too. And, you know, if you had asked us before last season if he was going to be a first-round pick, we probably all would have said yeah. And then ultimately he ended up dropping down to the fourth. So I'm not saying that's what's going to happen with Garrett Wilson, but I think his draft cap is going to tell me a lot about where I end up liking him as a uh, as a pro uh, prospect. 
you'd like to see him put on a, a little bit of extra weight. And I think he has the frame to be able to do that. He doesn't need but, it. But, you know, we've seen a lot of receivers, CD Lamb, like kind of on that borderline that that can really kind of succeed at the next level. And he makes up for it with his athleticism and his leaping ability. All right. Well, mic check. For it is halftime. Just as a reminder to our listeners, halftime is a segment in which I ask a question to our esteemed panelists, and each of them respond with an argument-based answer, and I always arbitrarily decide who had the best argument, and we're keeping track of those points, all right? So here is the halftime question this week. Who is going to win Offensive Rookie of the Year in 2021? And as a caveat... I am going to exclude Trevor Lawrence as a possible answer because he is the overwhelming favorite and the betting lines after him get really flat, right? So if if nobody said Trevor Lawrence, Mitch brought this up in, in, in preparation, if nobody said Trevor Lawrence, we'd look like idiots. So we're just throwing Trevor Lawrence out with the bathwater and we're going with the rest of the field. All right, Trey, we're starting with you. All right. So I do think that Trevor Lawrence has the best chance to uh, win Rookie of the Year and follow in, uh, in Herbie's footsteps from last year. So I'm going to make the case for uh, for Zach Wilson. And uh, for me, it's really close between him and a lot of other guys as sort of the uh, number two favorite here. But uh, if you look at the NFL draft, he was the number two overall pick. Uh, and if you look at the coaching staff in New York, I have a lot more faith in Saleh and Lafleur than I do in Urban Meyer down in Jacksonville or with Matt Nagy and Justin Fields in Chicago. So I'm, I'm really kind of buying into what that organization is putting together. And, you know, there was uh, this press conference that came out uh, yesterday or today where Zach Wilson was kind of talking about his approach to practice. And he really showed this maturity that I didn't really expect coming from him just based on, you know, what I kind of knew about the guy from college and, um, I was really impressed by, you know, his, his approach. Cause it was really just all about trying new things in practice and taking chances that he wouldn't actually take during a game. So, uh, he, his profile is still that of like a Pat Mahomes gunslinger. I don't think he's going to hit Herbie's stat line as a, uh, as a rookie, but I think he could potentially, uh, with his, that coaching staff, get the jets to sneak into a wild card spot. I think he could definitely ultimately outproduce a guy like Trevor Lawrence or these other rookies. So yeah, Zach Wilson. Yeah, Trey. So not a lot of Arabs in the NFL universe, but Robert Saleh. Say it with me. Saleh. It's all about all right. the exhale. <laughs> exactly. I'm sure I butchered it, but thank you for that. All right. So Trey went with Zach Wilson. John, who you got next? Well, first off, Zach Wilson, it may win rookie offensive player of the year, but I think it's equally as likely that he loses it in astounding fashion because he busts out. So it, the jury is out. A sure thing, and you know what I'm about to say here, a oh, sure thing is Kyle Pitts. No, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> well, not yet, but there's a chance that could happen as well. Uh, Kyle Pitts, he's going to be the wide receiver too for the Atlanta Falcons. We're talking about 800, 900, dare I say, 1,000 yards receiving. Over 9,000. year. And he's going to be classified as a tight end, but he's not going to be playing as one. He's going to show out this year. He's going to command target share. He's going to get the Falcons to the playoffs. Matt Ryan's going to be throwing it his way. He's going to be uncoverable, and he's going to win Offensive Rookie of the Year. I think we could be talking about 1,000 yards, 10 touchdowns, and we're going to be talking about top 10 dynasty asset at the end of this year. So, yeah, rookie of the year and to the moon, Kyle Pitts. Thank you. Rookie of the year and best tight end of all time, Kyle Pitts. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> all right, Mitch, hit us up. Jesus Christ. Again, uh, I do love Kyle Pitts. I would love to have him on my team. But my goodness, if we're talking about rookie of the year, I'm talking about Najee Harris. Old, big, bad Roethlisberger is on his last hurrah. Man, he knows his arm is toast, but he's trying his damnedest to get that Super Bowl. And how's he going to do it? I'm going to hand it to this guy and hope he fucking goes. Like, that's his game plan. This is the best case scenario for Big Ben. Najee Harris, he's like, man, give me that. Oh, rookie of the year. Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna dance around and do some spin moves and shit. I'm Najee Harris. 
this is easy money. This is a touchdown. This is a, a halftime win. This is a Marl's in charge. This is a Tara can't stop me. Let's go. All right, so Mitch loses because of that little riff at the end. <laughs> Mitch, Mitch, Mitch thought he was a rapper. He's been listening to a little bit too much Nas recently. Good album, <laughs> by the way. Great album. A lot of self-promotion coming out of Mitch today. So it's between Zach Wilson and Kyle Pitts. I, I, I like Kyle Pitts's odds better, and I think he does have a better better odds in Vegas but, to win Rookie of the Year. But but I'm gonna go with Trey. Yes. I think I, I think Trey's uh, reasoning was more sound. I liked his call out to the poise in the press conference talking oh. about practice. Guys, guys, he's talking about practice. Yeah, man. I think there's also like a, a East Coast bias, like New York media aspect to it too. Like if he can get that team to go from like one or two wins to middle of the road, then I think you're, he's going to get a lot of fans in uh, the New York area. So, all right. So after a couple of weeks at long last, I was able to confirm my priors and give Trey another halftime point. We all know it's bullshit, dude. It's okay. Yeah, we all know that the points matter and don't matter at the same it's time. Good to be back. I hate you. Good to be back. All right, that does it for halftime. Let's kick off this second half. Backing up a little bit, how to handle slash digest preseason and training camp news. It's all the rage right now. Everything on Twitter is highlight videos, in shorts, in tights, in sweatshirts. So you got to know how to parse this out, right? And the classic wisdom for how to react to news in August is to fade the hype and take any bad news that leaks seriously, right? Everybody talks about don't pay attention to good news, pay a lot of attention to bad news. And the logic makes sense, right? Team officials are always going to hype up their player and beat reporters are literally incentivized to publish positive reports. Otherwise, no one in the organization is going to talk to them. So sentiment around teams is usually inflated on the positive side around this time. Now, on the flip side, if a negative report pushes through all of that positivity, if it can't help but get to the other side of that inflation, then it bears taking seriously, right? So the logic makes sense. But I want to nuance this a little bit. Are there exceptions to this general rule? Are there instances in like which you ignore negative reports, but you take positive reports seriously? And do you have any examples of it kind of in the last month or two? No, I like this question a lot. And I'll, I'll go right back to the New York Jets here. So there was some reports that came out where uh, it was it was some beat reporter uh, who was basically reporting that uh, there's people who were unhappy with Wilson throwing some picks in practice and the, the quotes were, oh, it's Sam Darnold all over again. And these were supposedly from team executives saying, oh, we should have drafted Fields or Lance instead. And so to me, this sounds like something where it's negative press and maybe we should pay attention to it. But because it's New York, it kind of sounds right. like a typical New York reporter who's just like, who's just trying to stir shit, you know, and, and like just trying to, I don't know, get some like notoriety or, or something. And uh, and then after that, we had the press conference from uh, from Wilson where we hear his side of the story. And we also have the facts on our side, right? We know that Wilson can protect the ball because he had 33 touchdowns last year and three interceptions. So we know that he's capable of being somebody who can protect the ball uh, as a starting quarterback. So I, I'm fading that kind of news because it goes against what I know about the player and because of the sort of New York media aspect to it. Yeah, Trey, I love that you brought up New York because it is the exception to that rule, right? It's almost like in New York, media members climb the ladder by publishing, you know, negative and salacious reports, right? It's just kind of how that media bubble works. So, right. And that's good to keep in mind because we got two teams there, right? So we have to kind of parse that out as well. I, I don't want to overreact to good news or bad news coming out of New York because it's going to be overemphasized either way. Like, it, they want to handle that shit in-house, but then all of a sudden something is leaked out of house and a player has that extra pressure on them and they're putting... Like, it's all noise. For me, the most important thing right now, if we're talking about the off-season, is the player's own Twitter profile. 
And that means if the player is like tweeting because they're pissed off at their organization, that is super important information to me. Or if they're super down with their organization, they're being homies with their organization. That's also yeah, that's pretty good information to me as well. Like the player's Twitter profile, that that is the information that I'm soaking up right now. Not the training camp info, not the beat writers info. Fuck all that shit. I could see if you were talking about like Michael Thomas and how he's like making these comments about, about the Saints, like, you know, you don't stab me in the back, like, don't make me like stick up for myself and like, I won't say anything bad about you, like, whatever. Uh, these cryptic wide receiver tweets, right? So, yeah, I mean, I'm saying don't pay, don't pay attention to any of this. This is all like, all of this is nonsense. But you literally just told us pay attention to the Twitter feed. So, was that a joke? Yeah, it's all it's all sarcasm. Okay. Yeah, that didn't shine through, but <laughs> like all of this is nonsense. None of this matters. This is all off-season nonsense. Wow. All right. I think I'm closer to Mitch than not, but I think my approach is incremental. So, if it's a multitude of things that are positive or negative, I'm going to pay attention to that. So, for me, the recent example is Brian Edwards, right? Had a terrible rookie year. He's been getting a lot of off-season hype from a lot of different sources, and I'm paying attention to that, and I've invested in him on my rosters in a lot of different places as a result. Um, part of that is confirming my priors, which is what preseason is all about, I want to believe, uh, but I think you have to make a judgment call, right? Because there is a, a huge cost to being too late. Think about paying attention and being in on James Robinson this time last year versus a month later. It's going to cost you a lot more to acquire it. So you kind of have to pick and choose and you have to gamble on yourself. You have to trust yourself and hope that you can make the right call because you're an intelligent person. But like I said, Mitch is probably right. And in most instances, you're probably better off doing nothing. Yeah. I mean, I, so I do think I'm kind of closer to the kind of axiom here of fade good news but pay attention to bad news but if it's a lot of good news then you can start paying attention the thing that's interesting to me about the fact that you called out brian edwards is uh he has had some mixed reports too you know there's been stuff like that's coming out talking about him you know dropping passes that he really should be catching so um yeah there are, you know, there's coaches and and beat reporters talking about how he's going to be the man but there's also reports coming about actual performance on the practice field that doesn't necessarily sync up with that. And so the best thing I think we can do is also try to parse out like what is actually real and what's opinion, you know? Yeah. And that's tough because right now it's all about clickbait, right? Everything For sure. in preseason is like, there's nothing going on. How can I drum up some excitement? Well, that brings us up to the next segment though. That's the biggest importance between preseason and training camp and like actual preseason football on TV. Yeah, and on that note, kind of the next question I have is building off of that axiom. And and yeah, there are exceptions at some point, but as Mitch kind of advised, you basically want to look at it as all noise. How can we take that knowledge and then use it to our advantage in our dynasty leagues, right? So what opportunities does the hype cycle present for you to either either go out and target players go out and sell players how, how does this help us in dynasty strategy well that's the rub man like you don't want to overreact when there's super good news but you don't want to underreact when there's bad news like like where do you want to make the trade so you, you kind of have to have the idea of where you want to sell that player for so other than training camp being useless it's like well, when does this player's value get inflated enough for me to trade him? And then when it gets to that level, what are you willing to trade that player for? So, like, coaches tend to use a lot of motivational techniques, whether they're challenging the player, like negative reinforcement, well, he's not getting on the field, but this is what he needs to do to get on the field, or whether it's like a public affirmation that, oh, he's absolutely a part of the game plan. He's going to be the wide receiver three. He's the slot receiver here. So we're here as uh, fantasy players. What do we do? Well, we listen to this information and we say, 
okay, are we backtracking on this player or are we moving forward with this player? And that's when you know if you're trading them or if you're holding them. Yeah, I mean, there's been negative things that have happened this preseason that's kind of pushed me personally to trade away a player, right? So I have gotten rid of all of my shares of Michael Thomas, who we referenced a little bit, and Cam Akers. So both of them had a pretty dramatic dip in their value because of injury. But in both cases, I found deals that I could live with. However, like in a previous year, I've made the opposite mistake where I've overpaid for a guy like Royce Freeman because he was getting rave reviews in training camp, right? Do you guys have any examples like of players that you want to target or sell or like what are markers that you look for in terms of gaining an edge on your league mates? Yeah. So going back to the original conversation here, it was we should fade good news which means we shouldn't buy into the hype so we shouldn't buy high if a guy is getting hyped up and his price increases or we need to pay attention to bad news so if you want to pay attention to bad news then you can i guess you can do like what you're saying like you sell denzel mims like the first chance you get once the report comes out that he's running with the third string right but um, I mean, there's a difference between like poor, you know, preseason reports and somebody like Rashad Bateman having a, a soft tissue injury. Right. So, oh, yeah. Good point. I mean, with Bateman, I think that's an obvious uh, buy buy now at a discount. Right. Uh, because, you know, the, the great thing, the great thing about rookie wide receivers is at the end of the year, you're going to have really great value insulation if for whatever reason it doesn't work, work out because he's been banged up all year long because this time next year, we're all going to be talking about what a great rookie prospect he was. He's a little bit cheaper now because he didn't have a great rookie year because of injuries or whatever, and he's set to bounce back. And then you can make the decision whether or not you want to ride with the face planner, again, hat tip to bean counter, or you know sell him then for a late first, early second, and try again in the next rookie draft. Well, Trey, this is almost a perfect storm. If you're, if you're planning on tanking next year or this year and uh making a comeback next year like if your if your dynasty strategy is to eat shit this year and win the ship next year bateman has got to be in your in your peripheries am i wrong yeah i mean i think he's he's right now uh, as cheap as he's going to be uh because he hasn't seen the field yet and you know there is a chance that he comes back uh, a month into the year and his uh, he doesn't have a great year and he's at a little bit of a discount next year. That's possible. And and maybe he never works out. And, and that's just what happens with his career. But I, I do think for a contender or a rebuilder, uh, it makes sense to go after players like that because of that value insulation. John, in an, in an attempt to kind of nuance this idea of fade the good news, right? I'm going to give you a scenario. Because one of the players that has gotten consistently over and over again a steady drumbeat of good news is a guy that we love on this podcast, wide receiver out of Ole Miss. His name is Elijah Moore yeah. for the New York Jets. Every single report, every single week is that he's moving up the depth chart. He's playing on the outside. He's playing in the inside. He's balling out. From my perspective, I'm paying a little bit more now for Elijah Moore than I was a month and a half ago. So I'm going to admit to our listeners that I've bought into the hype a little bit. I'm I'm going to pay a little bit more than I would have a month ago. John, is that fair? I, I'm I'm just not there yet. He hasn't he hasn't done it against an actual NFL team and I know it's unofficial and we're going to fade the noise, but they did release a depth chart yesterday and he was listed as second string. So I know it's just business and that talent prevails all, but look, until he actually performs on the field, you, okay. you, you shouldn't overpay. I I mean, he's not my guy. He's your guy, right? <laughs> and you go get your guy. But no, I'm not there yet. And um, I want to see it. Like I've seen it in college and I, and I bought into it in college and he was good. But until he does it in, on an actual NFL field, I think you got to control the excitement, right? Because okay. that's yeah. what people were doing with Brian Edwards this time last year. And that's why people are paying first round picks for Brian Edwards this time last year. And a lot of them were disappointed as a result. Not saying that was a bad investment and it might pay off yet, but, and I hope it does, but uh, there's always the chance that in practice he looks good. And, but when it comes to the big time, it doesn't happen. All, guys bust. It happens all the time. 
And, and I'll say this about Elijah Moore, because I'm glad uh, his name came up. Uh, I mean, this is, again, a situation where we have uh, data. We have the reception perception profile that shows this guy is a next level separator and he wins on his routes. And so when all of the, the drumbeat coming out of camp is, hey, this guy is really good at winning all of his routes and getting separation, then I think we should believe that, right? Because... And it's not even it's it is somewhat that it confirms our priors, but it's not because it's the difference between an opinion and where we actually have a data set that tells us this information about a player. And Trey, I agree with you, John, I agree with you, but <laughs> Mims is that cheap because of all of this. Yeah. Trade Mims away for a fucking third round pick. Mims is fucking dead. No, you're wrong. No, dead. No. In the water. You're wrong. Face plant. I am. No, Tarek, shut the fuck up, dude. No, I want Mims on my team. Garbage. I want Mims on my team for the... I want Mims on my team for the cheapest amount of value. Man, we're talking about all of this. We're talking about all this value on this random-ass team with these random-ass quarterback, with these random-ass wide receivers. And all of a sudden, we know who's going to be the one that's catching all the balls. Get the fuck out of here. Give me Denzel Mims. Probably not going to be the guy that can even get on the field and practice. All right. Well, I'll take him at the cheapest amount of value right now. While you guys debate over the top value when it's all the fucking same to me. All right. So last quick question is preseason games. What are the things that you're looking for when it comes to watching a preseason game? Can you learn anything from a preseason game or are you just kind of like it's pure entertainment, right? John, is there anything that we can learn from preseason? Uh, you know, I watch the first quarter usually. And if it's like the fourth preseason game, I'll watch the second quarter as well. Um, I guess what I want to know is, are they getting on the field at least? Yeah. And um, do they look like they're about to get cut? You got those guys at the end of your roster and you're like, you're really hoping beyond hope that they turn into something. It's like, OK, that guy's going to get cut. Um, that's that's all that I'm interested in is the back in my end at the end of my roster kind of guys. Do I have a spot? Is this guy showing out? Do I want to stash this guy? But beyond like old, old vets and stashes, I don't think preseason games offer much information in terms of what's going to happen during the regular season. Yeah, John, I agreed there. I think uh, the depth charts maybe uh, become a little bit more clear during preseason. So there's a lot of murky wide receiver rooms, some murky running back rooms out there. And we might be able to get a better sense of who the number two or number three guys are in these situations based on preseason. But um, besides injuries and some of these deep, deep sleepers, I don't think you can really uh, get a whole lot of info out of these preseason games. Yeah, like I'm not really looking at much. I'm looking at QB battles like like Drew Locke versus Teddy Bridgewater. That mm-hmm. The very few things that I'm looking at are important here. But, you know, if I'm not assuming Fitzmagic is actually in a competition with uh, Hanky Panky here. So there isn't a whole lot of excitement in what's going on in the preseason. Um, I remember in the past, like, you know, Victor Cruz was like, hey, what's up? I'm on a football team and you guys should watch me. And that was a very cool part of preseason. But that was like back in 2069 when I was like a child. To what Trey said, you can find out who the wide receiver two is by who is not playing, right? right? right. So if somebody is not playing in a preseason game, that means that uh, oftentimes they are, you know, a player that the team wants to protect. All right. That is going to do it for episode 19 of the Long Game Dynasty podcast. We will see you next week. Oh, goodbye. Oh, goodbye. Later.